uh, go ahead and get your Bible out, and we'll be looking this morning at um, Matthew chapter 6 again. We're going through the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, in the back of your bulletin, it has a total received there for the capital campaign, uh, $325,376,000. And so since AJ can't read that in Greek, again, it's $327,777. And we are encouraged in the Lord's work. And um, thank you all for your sacrificial giving and just pray. You know, one of the things as we even talk about this prayer request this morning that the Lord's going to lay out for us is just to be in prayer that the Lord would have His will be done. Okay? It's this where we're, it's, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but understand that the passage is laid out like that. Focus on the Lord and then move into our request. He knows our needs. And so pray with us. Pray together that the Lord would guide and direct us on those paths as we move into our future. Um, <clears throat> we all know as, as uh, we've been around children, at least uh, some of us have a lot, um, we uh, know that kids can say some of the craziest, funniest things in the world. And honestly, it's no different when it comes to prayer. Uh, I found these prayers this week, and I thought some of them were really humorous. And I thought I would share them with you. Uh, one child prays this, Dear God, please uh, send me a pony. I've never asked for anything else before. You can look that up, I promise. Another child prayed, Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I really prayed for a puppy. That sounds like Silas there, you know. Uh, Dear God, uh, could you please send Mikey Johnson to another summer camp this summer, please? This is probably my favorite one. This, this one reminds me of Carolyn, and you tell me why. Tell me why this is Carolyn Swanson, who's not here to defend herself. <clears throat> so a little girl was sitting by her bedtime, and she was praying with her mother. And she says, Lord, bless Mommy. Lord, bless Daddy. And God, would you give me a new bicycle? Amen. And the mother leaned over and says, Honey, you know, God's not deaf. I know, but grandmother's in the next room and she's a little hard of hearing. <laughs> Isn't that Carolyn? I mean, think about it. So why is it that uh, we think children's prayers like this are, are so funny? I think that as, you know, as we really look at them, they're a little naively manipulating a little bit, you know? Uh, but at the same time, as you really think about it, uh, they're real, they're sincere, they're fresh, they're boldly honest, they're uninhibited, they're vulnerable, they're open, they're trusting. And despite uh, that you know, manipulative side aspect of it, do you think that the Lord would have us be truly more like children in our praying of God? and to Him and making requests of Him. Do you think that would be the case? Do you think He would want us to be a little more real and sincere and fresh and bold and honest and uninhibited and vulnerable and open and trusting? I think He would. And so this morning as we return to the Lord's Prayer, um, He is teaching us, He has been teaching us to love our Holy Father, um, to be in His presence to focus on Him first. And now He's moving into a time of reflection uh, in terms of our own needs. 
And so let us read the prayer together again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning hoping expecting you to bless us with your word. And so fill us now with understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would hear your good word, that we would receive your good word, that we would walk in your good word, all for your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread actually begins the second section of the petitions that the Lord has been teaching us in uh, the model of prayer. Uh, the first half of the, uh, the prayer, Jesus is teaching us again to come into the Father's presence with our hearts and our minds focused on the Heavenly Father, giving Him glory, um, uh, making His name uh, honored and holy. Um, it is um, because He is personal and He is transcendent that we can even come into His presence. And then we're to pray about His kingdom coming. Our focus should be on that. Uh, we can ask ourselves to wrestle with this. How often do we think about God's kingdom actually being in our presence? We are to pray for that, that it would be in our life, that it would be in the lives of others. And that it would be reflected in our society. Another thing that He wants us to pray is, Thy will be done on earth. May His will be accomplished in us, in the church, and in the world. And why is that? It would be all for His glory. Now in seeing the prayer unfold in this way, interestingly, as it moves into the, the, the focus of people, notice that it's very similarly laid out as the Ten Commandments are, isn't it? The Ten Commandments begin with this idea of God first, honor the Lord. And then it kind of moves into how we're not to sin against one another. Don't sin against the Lord, don't sin against uh, one another. The prayer is the same way, with God focused first and then moving into an us focus next. And so, with the words, give us our day, give us this day our daily bread, we move into the second section of the prayer, which teaches us that after coming into God focus, after focusing on Him in praise and in focus on kingdom and focus on will, that we are to pray for our own personal request. And remember, as we think about this, these are commands here. So he's telling us to pray for our daily bread. Now, there are several important things to learn about prayer for our request if we truly pay attention to these few words that Jesus has given us. Give us this day our daily bread. What can we learn about that particular petition? Well, today we're going to focus on number one, self-interest in our request. Number two, dependence in our request. And number three, trust in our request. So what about self-interest in our request? Let me just have you focus on the words give us. Okay, give us. Think about those words a minute. This week I went to lunch with uh, Yannick and Lori who are back here. 
And we were discussing various ways that they seek to reach people in uh, France, uh, to reach the unbelievers in that culture. And, and Yannicka was sharing something of the French unbeliever that is very similar to all unbelievers who have had just a little bit of introduction to Christianity as defined by the culture. So when we look at Christianity and we define it by the culture, what do we see there? We see that Christianity is viewed as much more of a religious set of rules. And, 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 and we get lost in that. And, and they don't have a concept there as they look at it of the whole fact that Jesus came to restore rebellious sinners into a relationship with God. I have said it many times over the years that you can trace through the Scriptures the move of God to get closer and closer to us in, in a restored relationship that comes to fruition in Christ. I mean, if you think about it, what did God do? After man rebelled against Him, uh, He went to Adam and Eve and says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then it was many years later as the world's falling apart. You read about that and, and man's uh, heart was wicked continually. You know, he flooded the earth, people repopulated, but then he came to this man named Abraham and he came into his presence. He says, I'm going to bless the world through your line, through you. And so then when we come to the time of Moses after the children of Israel have grown up in numbers in slavery actually in Egypt, they're brought out. And what does God do? He comes into their presence by a, a pillar of, of uh, fire by day and, or by night and a cloud by day. And He's leading them on through the desert. And then He has Moses to build them a tabernacle. And God resides there. Where is God? The camp was set all around that tabernacle. And God was there in their midst in the center of their camp. And then as we move on through the Scriptures, He gets even closer. It's like He sets up residence. But he, you, know, there's a, you have to be careful there by saying God has a house. I mean, even His words are saying, I'm not, I'm not living in that house. I mean, God's everywhere. But His presence was known to Israel and the world is to be inside the temple that Solomon built. But then Israel rebelled against God. And so what we see there and there in the Scriptures there is that God left. And you know it never says in the Old Testament He came back. Until when? Do you remember John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God. What does that tell you? God became flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. And He walked with us. And He walked among us. And it was glorious and incredible. So much so that when He was being ready to be crucified, His, his, his disciples were like, no, you can't do this. No, 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 no. But He was. Because that was the plan. But then what happened? Galatians. The hope of glory in you. Christ in you. He wants to be close to us. And eventually, He's going to return to the earth, restore all things new, and we're going to be in Him in full presence. And so there is no doubt that He wants a relationship with us. While there are kingdom values that He calls His people who have been saved by grace to live out, we are not about rules. We're about a relationship with the God of heaven. 
And in that relationship, isn't it reasonable to think that God desires for us to have a relationship with Him in prayer? He wants us. He desires us to come and ask requests of Him. If you go back to the book of Exodus, all through the Scripture, if you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. God was listening to His people. If you go to Jeremiah 33, God says, Call on me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jesus, a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 7, will say, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. James 4, 2, You do not have because you do not ask. John 5, 14, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, do you see how that parallels the Lord's prayer here? We're praying for His will, and then our request, if you pray anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. The Father created us for a relationship with Him. And one of the ways He has designed us for that is to, to, to spend time with Him in asking Him to meet our needs. He's designed us for that. We're going to get into that a lot more here. And actually here, Jesus again commands His disciples to pray for their needs. And here He is commanding them as an invitation and urging. And He is telling us by doing that, this one important thing. The Father really does care for you. He cares for your spiritual well-being. He cares for your body. Think about the transition here. He is saying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We cannot serve Him unless we are fed. Because we'll die. He cares for your physical needs. Think of it this way. Did I not just walk you through the Scripture and show you that your body is the temple of the living God? How could He not care for you? In your body. He probably, I know he cares, I know he cares a lot more for it than I do, you know? I'm just telling you. So William Barclay kindly reminds us that Jesus spent much time when he was here on earth. What did he do? He healed diseases. He was satisfying physical hunger. He was anxious when he thought that the crowd who had followed him into the lonely places had um, a long road home and they had no food to eat before they sat upon it. So we can see what he thinks of our human bodies when we remember that Jesus himself took on a body upon himself. In other words, we not, do not have simply a soul salvation, but we have a whole salvation which includes our bodies. Salvation of the body, the mind, and the spirit. And that's what Christianity aims at. 
Christianity gives the basics for a high view of the value and meaning of the body as a good gift from God. So the question for us is is this, where might we struggle with the assertion of this fact from the Bible that He cares for our bodies? How might that affect your prayers? When you pray, do you understand that He really does care for your physical well-being as well as your spiritual well-being? You know, Miss Shirley's been in a hospital for a long time, and every time I visit her, you know, when I first started visiting her, she seemed at that point a lot more down. And you can understand that. You can understand the medication she's on, the pain, and all those things. But as I've continued to visit her, she just seems like Shirley, happy. And encouraged. And every once in a while, I'll just ask her, how are you doing? Well, I'm okay. I mean, it's hard to just sit in that place all day long if you've ever been in a hospital. She's been there a long time. Sometimes, do you think Jesus doesn't care about her? Sure He does. Sure He does. What is His plan for her in that situation? I have no idea. It could be a million things. But we have to trust God and know that even in those particular instances, He cares for us. He cares for our bodies. He cares for our physical needs. And prayer like this, this one statement declares that everyday things matter to God. And as the Scripture so wonderfully point out above, He likes to be asked... (laughs) He desires to be asked. And here's the thing. When we don't ask, what are we doing? We're presuming upon Him and His grace. So ask. Through this special relationship with Him in prayer that He has given us in this means of grace, in this model that Jesus has laid out before us, ask. Give us. Give us. This day our daily bread. Inquire about your physical needs. Reach out as you would to a good father who knows always what is best. A second thing that we want to see here in this prayer is this. After he cares for our self-interest, and he does, he talks about dependence and our request. Dependence and our request. Focus on the words our daily bread here. Think about that just for a moment. In this petition, when Jesus says to ask the Father for our daily bread, He is pointing out the need for our total dependence upon God. It is an echo of the ancient Jewish prayers similar to the first benediction of grace at mealtime that go like this, Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who feedest the whole world with thy goodness. Thou givest food to all flesh. Uh, Through thy goodness, food hath never failed us. Oh, may it never fail us ever and ever. That's what he's doing here. He's calling us to understand dependence upon God. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, Experiencing uh, Awe and Intimacy with God, puts it this way. To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. That's exactly what this uh, little text here is, is calling us to. 
as creatures, we're not actually dependent upon anything for ourselves. Bread in of itself speaks to this. Uh, Thomas, uh, Derek Thomas rightly surmises this. He says that there is something about the whole process of making bread that reminds us of very basic things. Things like life and death. Yeast is alive at certain temperatures. Whenever it comes into contact with salt and sugar, the process of watching dough rise is utterly fascinating. From some very basic ingredients can emerge something which still sustains and nourishes in a way that quite frankly nothing else does. Bread still constitutes a basic food item in almost every part of the world. And so what he's saying here is is that so praying for bread then is a way of reminding us that God is the provider of all things. Thomas continues, to ensure that bread ends up on our tables, he must order the climatic, agricultural, and economic conditions that ensure that bread is the result of it all. In recent days, maybe you've read articles like this. I have. I've read a couple articles about the, 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 just the sad detriment of living in our, our uh, modern society upon our children. Uh, when asked in a recent survey of children, where do eggs come from? Guess where they've said? Store. Where does bread come from? The store. You know, where do these, where do apples and oranges and grapes come from? The store. It's like the store. They just mag- magically appear there, you know? And it's okay. You just walk in there and gather them up. I remember when Kristen first started making bread years ago and she'd buy these buckets of wheat and she would grind this stuff up in a grinder and then she would you know, do all the magic stuff and all that kind of stuff to put the bread together. People would say, you do that? You actually make your own bread? Can you do that? It's just interesting. We have lost it in our society to see the agricultural benefits that the Lord provides for us. We actually take it for granted. And so we have to ask the question, has modern convenience along with prosperity and the American way of a strong uh, go-get-em work ethic of individualism robbed us of the understanding that all we truly have in this world is dependence upon our God as creator and sustainer. I can't imagine that it hasn't. But at the same time, we see historical evidence in and out of the Bible which points to the sad fact that in this story of mankind and its fallenness, it has always been that way. All we have to do is go back to to Genesis. So we can never just blame it on the modern society. But we blame it on our fallenness. We have to understand That no matter how we may have lost sight of our dependence upon Him, we need to cry out for God to awaken us anew and afresh every day as to the fact that we are totally dependent upon Him. He gives the dirt the nutrients. He gives water for vitality. He sparks the seed to life and thus creates the plants for food. He gives wisdom and strength and understanding for the working of a field, the planting, the plowing, the harvesting. None of this would be without Him. 
None of it. Indeed, he gives us our very breath. And so let's go back to Keller's quote. To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for what? Everything. For everything. Is it your first response in the morning when you get out of bed to jump up and get ready and run out the door to get your daily bread? Or is it to fall on your knees and to say, Father, please give me my daily bread? Simply, when you have an issue of need, do you act first? Or do you seek first? If I were to ask you to evaluate your own heart, to spend uh, 15 minutes in silence and and to evaluate your own heart, what would you give to me as, as a reasoning for how you act in those manners? Perhaps a a deeper, more profound question that presses dependence issues even further into the future of mankind is this. What are you modeling before your own children in concern to this? Friends, how might we rightly and joyously come back to the basic essence of life that God created us for to accept that we are and always and will be wholly dependent upon Him, our Father, for everything. Let me challenge you to another application of this passage, and that's this. Memorize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And, and, and say it, and pray it, and meditate upon it often. I have it memorized in the, in the King James because it's the first verse I memorized. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on an all understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall guide your paths. Lastly, as we consider him meeting our self-interest, as we can, or caring about our self-interest, as we consider him uh, meeting our needs in terms of being wholly dependent upon him, uh, the last spot or the last point would be trust in our request. Trust in our request. It's closely related to dependence, but but you know it's 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 a trusting issue here. So think about this day. Think about this day in this passage. God wants His children to trust Him and to live by faith in Him daily. Okay? Again, I said earlier, He likes to be asked. He's he's a person. He likes to be asked. I mean, here among you, you know, this happens with my children sometimes. Okay? Especially when it comes to doing things they want to do. They'll just run off with their friends and do them. And they don't ask. Does that irritate anybody here? If you're a dad, it, it does. And maybe your dad, the dad's got, eh, whatever. But the mom's like, ooh, that irritates me a lot. It points to the fact that God likes to be asked. And so we must live by faith in Him daily. We have already seen how modern convenience, along with our fallenness, can rob us of our dependence upon Him. But it can also rob us of our trust as well. Um, we all have walk-in pantries, don't we? We all have a refrigerator, maybe two. Maybe you have one in the garage. Freezers are attached to them. 
We go to Costco's, we go to Sam's Club, we fill those pantries and there's refrigerators up. However, in the time when Jesus taught this prayer, things were not like this in any way. I want you to envision it with me just a moment. Think about it. Not only did they not have walk-in pantries or refrigerators or freezers in Jesus' day, laborers were commonly paid each day for the work that they did on that day if they could find work. And that pay was horribly low. And there was no negotiation. There were no, no, you know, no uh, uh, groups of people gathered together in a union or anything like that. And so what occurred then, it was almost impossible for the daily person in Jesus' day to save anything so that the day's pay went to purchase food every day. If the wages were not withheld first. So I want you to think about this also in these terms. It was an agricultural society, which meant that one crop failure could spend major disaster. And I'm not sure there were even such things as government subsidies for all those individual small farms. And so uh, D.A. Carson's quote really clarifies it for us. Listen, give us this day our daily bread was no empty rhetoric. Living a relatively precarious existence, Jesus' followers were to learn to trust their heavenly Father to meet their physical needs. We're not going to have the same struggle with that as they did, are we? So the question for you is this. How do you today struggle with trust in God to meet your needs? In our day and time, at least in our community, living in a precarious existence of prosperity may create trust issues with our Heavenly Father. Our lack of trust may be in the flavor of, I really don't need to trust you, God, because we're good here in the Metroplex. It's all good. Or maybe our trust issues go a little deeper than that, though. Maybe they're not that shallow. Uh, Maybe they're more personable. Uh, For example, how might we create ways to avoid risk of possible disappointment with God? What might be that one thing that you have in your heart that was perpetrated by someone else that you hold against God that keeps you from trusting to meet your needs? Might you keep God you know, at a distance? Or might you expect the worst? Another thing to keep in mind, especially in reflecting again on the precarious lifestyle of the first century workers, were um, those who were paid one day at a time, and you know, maybe they would have illness or, or injury, and any of that could spell tragedy. But Jesus does not teach us here to pray for anything we may want. Because we could fall into that trap as well. And then we could say, you're not meeting my needs. You're not giving me that red Corvette I want. Nor does He say to pray for everything you will ever need. Give me not only my bread today or tomorrow. And the word could be either one of those. It's a strange word. It only occurs two times in the Old Testament. One time in in, uh, another... um, 
uh, book of that time in Greek, but nothing else. And so we, we struggle with this word, but it could be, give me my, my bread today or tomorrow, but it doesn't say, give me my bread for weeks to come. Please re- plan my retirement plan. We are to trust Him daily. Daily. And so, as all the comment, every commentator I read had this little ditty in their, in their writings. Um, we are to pray for our daily needs, not our daily greeds. But that is just it, isn't it? How hard is it for us who have so much to be content and to trust Him with just our daily needs? Think about it. Do you trust Him? Ultimately, when we come to these, 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 uh, these requests here, all of them, um, but when we come to the elements of our request today where we're thinking about our self-interest, where we're thinking about dependence, where we're thinking about trust, ultimately, all this comes by grace in His grace. While our hearts may be tempted to be led astray in a million different directions, Jesus calls us to call upon the Father, knowing that He has our self-interest in mind, knowing that we are to go to Him in prayer with total dependence upon Him, and trust in our hearts because He has loved us enough to give us His Son, Jesus. Therefore, this is a prayer of grace. Do you remember the words of Jesus when He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And so as we come into His presence with with prayer, do we not look at Him and say, How good you are, Lord. How great you are. Because you've given us Jesus. And will you not meet our daily needs? Years ago, I discovered a man who I found to live out this perhaps like no one I've ever read about uh, since the apostles and Jesus Himself. It was in the year 1835 and a young immigrant from Germany decided that God wanted him to improve the appalling conditions of the inner city of Bristol, England. All around him, he saw children uh, living out of crates and boxes and, and sharing the remains of garbage heaps with rats. Children of, seven years of, of around seven years old would be forced to work 12-hour days in factories for just a few pennies a day. They were beaten, they were abused to the highest uh, degrees uh, of level of that time. And those who would escape those confines from time to time were forced to live out on the streets. And if you live out on the street as a child, what do you have to do? You have to learn how to steal, and you have to learn how to fight, and you have to learn how to be smart, street smart, and live on your wits. As were most orphans, the need was apparent. What is the need? We need to create a place where they can live and they can be cared for by uh, caring and loving adults. But there was a serious problem. This man had no money. Hardly any money. And so the question is, what would he do? Would he go to the government? Please, government, give us a handout. Government, we need you to take care of us. Government, we need you to, to, to fulfill all our needs. Please, Let's elect somebody that will take care of all this. No. Did he go to the richest people in the community? Please have a heart. Give to the poor. Give to the needy. No, that's not what he did at all. It's not what he did. He didn't even turn to the church. 
It's one of the most fascinating things I've ever read is that he went to the one who had wealth beyond measure. In his diary, it records that he fell to his knees and he asked God, God, give me a thousand pounds to pay for a building for suitable people to care for children. And in his Bible reading, he read Psalm 81.10, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Again, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Four days later, unasked for provisions began to appear on his front doorstep. Although he had shared his idea with few people, God now began to work in motivating people to give money for an orphanage. Within several months, there was an orphanage in a house uh, in Bristol. Within a year, there were three. Each one of them paid by money that was never asked for publicly, but was prayed for privately by George Mueller. Time and time again, the orphanage would, would be uh, 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 at the place where the cupboards were empty and, and they could only maybe handle one more meal for the kids and they would pray and at the next meal there would be food left on the porch, money slipped in the mail slot, much of it not coming until the very instant they needed it. Mueller knew God cared about his everyday needs. His everyday needs. And so he depended upon God. He trusted God to meet those needs. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, pull our church community uh, our fellowship into a greater and greater dependence upon You. A greater and greater trust in You. Knowing that You will meet all of our needs as individual families, as a church body. And may we even be bold enough to pray that You would bless those around us. Lord, when I say this, I don't know that our greatest need is financial. But I think that those around us, Lord, who need daily bread, they need the daily bread of Your Word, of Your Son, the bread of life. And so, Lord, we pray boldly for You to meet the needs of our community, and to have people lining up at the doors waiting to come in to worship You. We pray this in the strong name of Christ, for His name's sake, for His glory, forever and evermore. Amen. Let us stand and prepare our hearts for the table.